Good morning. Merry Christmas Eve morning to you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, welcome. Uh, whether you're joining us in person or online, my name is Seth, and this is The Foundry, and I'm so very glad you're here because we're all about a better you and a better world. Uh, like Joe said, I can't, can you believe it's, we're like here already. Like it's, it's here already. It's here already. It's happening. It's happening. It's, we're in the middle of it, whether we want to be we, of course, we want to be here, yeah. Okay, so we are in week four uh, of our Christmas series that we're calling Awful. Uh, in case you haven't been here, what we're doing is we're following the traditional themes of Advent each week, hope, peace, joy, and love, and then we're looking at the birth narrative of Jesus and various aspects of it, and then we're taking these words that we may be familiar with that usually have some sort of negative connotation, but then we're kind of diving into those a little bit and discovering that there's something positive within these words that can teach us something good. So last week we talked about joy, and we did that through the lens of the word emergency. Remember to rise out of. Uh, and so today, uh, the day before Christmas, our Advent theme is love, which is awesome. Uh, and our awful word for the day is debacle. Oh, yes, debacle. It's a good one. So uh, when you hear the word debacle, like what are the thoughts that are running through your head, right? It's something, something that's a mess, something that's messed up. It's a cluster of a situation, maybe a family gathering that went awry. It was a real debacle. What is it that you picture? It's usually not something good, so we're going to start with the definition of the word debacle, and then I'll give you like our key phrase or thought for the day. Okay, so debacle is, one, a great disaster, a complete failure. Two, a tumultuous breakup of ice in a river. Three, a violent disruption as of an army, which is to rout. None of these things are good. <laughs> None of these things are good. A great disaster, a complete failure, a breaking up of the ice in the river. Maybe that's not so, that's not a terrible one. And unless you're like on the river when it happens, that would, that would be bad, right? These, these are not good things. So our word for today is debacle. Here's your thought, your key thought, your key note for, for like the sermon, ready? The birth of Jesus was a beautiful debacle. So let me explain. Let me explain. Roman, uh, Romans, Luke chapter two, verse one. I'm gonna go through a little bit of the scripture here. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, verse 3, and everyone went to their own town to register. Skip down to verse 6. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Okay, so now we know this story, we're familiar with this story. Then we have the angel of the Lord shows up to the shepherds in the fields and tells them about this thing that's going to happen that we looked at last week. They received this message about the birth of the Savior, the Messiah. And so I want to continue on from there and, and watch what they do, okay? Uh, next passage here, Luke 2.15. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. We want to see this thing that has happened. Let's keep going. Verse 16, 
So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Okay, so there's this thing that happens, right? That is the birth of Jesus. Then the, angels show, the angel shows up and tells the shepherds, hey, this thing has happened. And then the shepherds go, hey, we should go see that thing that happened. Then they go see and they go and see the thing that happens. Then they tell people, hey, you won't believe what has happened. And then the people are like, wow, I can't believe this thing has happened. And then the shepherds come back and they're like, praise God for this thing that has happened. And that's basically the story of Christmas. <laughs> that, and that, that's basically the story of Christmas. Okay, now, uh, let's, let's look a little bit of the history and the etymology of the word debacle, okay? Because this is interesting. You got to check this out. So debacle, disaster, 1848, from French debacle, that's how you, that's the proper French pronunciation, debacle, I just made that up, downfall, collapse, disaster, a figurative use, literally breaking up of, uh, breaking up of ice on a river in consequence of a rise in water, extended to the violent flood that follows when the river ice melts in spring, from debacler, which means to free. The literal sense is attested in English from 1802. In geology, it's used to explain the landscape left by the ice ages. Okay, so debacle is this word that's used to describe when a river is frozen over with ice and then something happens, then like the melting of the ice in the spring, causing this ice to break up, which results in this like flood of ice and water being sent down river. And this word debacle comes from debacler, which means to free, as in the ice that is being broken apart is being set free. This word is also used in geology to explain the landscapes left by the ice ages. Like as geologists are studying the shapes and the forms of the earth, they come to the conclusion that these patterns and shapes of the topography of the earth are a result of the debacle of the ice ages. All this ice was set free, and then you have this evidence of how the landscape has been affected by this. So there's this significant and lasting change to the landscape. So, to, like, the birth of Jesus was a beautiful debacle. That's where we're going with all this. Okay, so Luke 2.15, watch this again. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And what was it that had happened? You back up to Luke 10, or Luke 2, verse 10. But the angel said, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So this thing that has happened is this baby has been born, who is the Savior, who is the Messiah. So in the Greek text, the word Savior is the word soter, which means a deliverer. So this baby who was born in Bethlehem, will be the Savior, will be the Deliverer, and he is the Messiah. In the Greek text, Messiah is Christos, Christ, that's where we get that from, which means the anointed 
one. So this thing that has happened is this baby has been born in Bethlehem who would be the deliverer, who would be the anointed. Well, what does a deliverer do? Rescues, sets free. In fact, if you look up in, in, in the, the word deliverer in the dictionary, the very first entrance in, entry is to set free. So this thing happens. A baby is born in Bethlehem who is the one who sets things free, and he is the anointed one. And then the shepherds, they get this message, and they go to see the deliverer. And then once they see the deliverer, they go out and they tell everyone about this one that they have seen who sets things free. And then this message starts to spread, and everyone's like amazed, and they can't believe what's happening. And then they start praising God for sending the one who sets things free. This, is, this to me is this incredible metaphor for like the, the birth of Jesus, this, this debacle. It's a metaphor for like what's happening in the birth of Jesus. You have this frozen river. There's a stuckness. The water is not flowing. It's trapped in the form of ice. But then something happens that causes this ice to break up. The people of Israel at this time are stuck under the oppression of the Roman Empire Humanity is, is trapped in their sin, which is to miss the mark of how we've been invited to live. But then something happens, the birth of Jesus, that the deliverer shows up. The deliverer causes the ice to break. And then once that ice starts to melt, there's this flood that rushes down river that has the potential to shape the geology of the earth. Here in this story, the birth of Jesus causes the ice to break, and the shepherds began to spread the word, and there's this rush of excitement that spreads to more and more people. This happens to, to like help to shape the spiritual landscapes of people as individuals, as well as the spiritual landscape of all of humanity. And so maybe, maybe the question in all of this is, is like, well, so what was the cause of the thing that had happened? What was the cause of the thing that had happened that was the birth of Jesus? Well, with an actual debacle, it's the changing of the seasons maybe that causes the ice to melt, that causes it to break up, that causes the flooding, right? So in this story of the birth of Jesus, what is it that caused or led to or what was the catalyst for the deliverer to come? What does John 3.16 say? It says, you may be familiar with this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, I, I want to show you this in like two other versions just so you can, because I, I love seeing this because it like helps to create like a more robust picture of, of scripture. This is from the message. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why, so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. I really, I like that one. That's a, that's a good one. Uh, let me show you one more. This is the uh, DBH. For God so loved the cosmos as to give the son, 
the one and only, so that everyone having faith in him might not perish, but have the life of the age. For God sent the Son into the world, into the cosmos, not that he might pass judgment on the cosmos, but that the cosmos might be saved through him. That, that's the end of that. <laughs> so, I just need you to stay with me here, okay? This is, I want to get a little bit technical on this. I want to dive into like five or six of the, the, the key words in, this, in these passages, okay? This is, you may be tempted to like doze off. I hope you, I hope you don't because as we expand this, like you'll see like this is actually really cool because I think there's some merit into like hyper-examining things that we might be overly familiar with that will cause us to see it in a bit of a new way. Okay, so stay with me. Here's, here's the words I want to look at. So loved, world, eternal life, and save. Okay, some of the key words in this passage. So let's start with so. The word so is the word hustus, hustas, which means in this way, which is referring to that which precedes or that which follows. So a more literal like translation of this would be for God, in this way, loved the world and gave his only son. So sometimes I think we read that and we say, for God so loved the world, and we make the so about the amount or quantity of God's love, right? But that's not actually what it's saying. It's, it's not saying, it's like, how much did God love the world? This much, right? No, that's, it's saying in this way, this is how God loved the world. It's, it's kind of like what the message said. The message said, this is how much God loved the world. So God loved the world deeply enough to send the Son. Okay, next word. Next word is love, for God so loved the world. The word love is ag- agapeo, which comes from agape, which means to love. Now, if you know anything about Greek or been around the church for a while, you know that our word for love is just love, and then we have to sort it like what kind of love it is through context. The Greeks had like four or five different words that they used to break down the different types and facets of various forms of love. So you have philo, which is brotherly love. You have eros, which is erotic love. You have storge, which is parental love. And you have agape, which is unconditional love. Agape is the highest, most selfless love that there is. And that's the word that is used here. You could read it this way. For God, in this way, unconditionally loved the world. Okay, let's keep going. The next word is world, uh, which is cosmos. And this one's a bit tricky. That's not the definition. I just wanted to point out that this one's a bit tricky. It actually is used in a bunch of different ways in the New Testament, uh, which is so you kind of have to make sure you're in the right context. So here's the different um, aspects of of uh, cosmos, so world, cosmos, it can be understood as the earth, it can be understood as the systems of the world, it can be understood as the whole human race, it can be understood as the universe as a whole. Okay, so let's, which one seems to fit here? For God, in this way, unconditionally loved the earth? I mean, I, th- I think that's true, but I'm not sure if it fits here. For God, in this way, unconditionally loved, like, the systems of the world. Well, that doesn't really work here. For God, in this way, unconditionally loved the whole human race. That one would seem to fit. For God, in this way, unconditionally loved the entirety of the universe. 
Well, that one seems to work as well and actually fits in line with what Paul talks about in Romans 8, where he talks about creation as being liberated from its bondage into freedom. So I, I would say at least like two of the four of these, the way the, this word is used is applicable here. For God, in this way, unconditionally loved the whole human race, unconditionally loved the entirety of the universe. So then maybe the next question is, well, like, in what way did God reveal God's unconditional love? Well, by sending the Son, not to condemn, but to save. Now, next two words, eternal life, uh, sorry, is actually two different words. You have eternal, which is ionios, which actually is defined as perpetual, perpetual, uh, also used of past time or past and future as well. Eternal, uh, forever, everlasting. And then you have the next word, which is zoe, life, eternal life. Zoe, which means life, literally or figuratively, can mean you know, living as well. Now, the word zoe is a bit more nuanced than just life. Uh, I want to show you what Wren's Expository Dictionary says about this word. May I look at this? It says, concerning human life, zoe refers, first of all, to life of the highest quality as God had intended it. Zoe refers first of all to life of the highest quality as God had intended it. So in the Greek text, there's two primary words that get translated as life. There's the word bios and there's the word zoe. Bios refers to the functionality of life. It's a study of biology. This is how does it work or this is how it works. Zoe, like we see here, is referring to this particular kind and quality of life. It's the fullness of life that God has intended. So when it says that those who believe in the Son may have eternal life, it's the word zoe. And when you put these two different definitions together, it makes for kind of an interesting like, read. Like You could read it this way, so that those who believe in him shall not perish, but perpetually experience the highest quality of life as God intended. Like maybe this is more than just about getting out of this place is what it might seem like. Okay, last word. That God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The word is save, which is sozo, which means to save, i.e. deliver or protect. For God, in this way, unconditionally loved the whole human race or unconditionally loved the entirety of the universe. In a way, in, in, and the question is then, in what way did God unconditionally love the whole human race and the entirety of the universe? Well, God sent his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have perpetual fullness of life. For God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save, to deliver the world through him. So the angel tells the shepherds that this baby is born in Bethlehem, and this, this baby would be the savior, the soter, the deliverer, the one who sets things free. And then John says that the sending of the son is the way that God reveals God's unconditional love, and that the reason that God is sending the savior, the deliverer, was not to condemn, but to save, to deliver to set free the world, the cosmos, through him. So the Savior, 
the soter, the deliverer, the one who sets free, has been sent as this tangible expression of God's unconditional love to save, to deliver, to set free. So when the, when the shepherds go to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened, that is the birth of the Savior, and the reason this thing has happened is because of God's unconditional love. And the result of this thing happening is that the cosmos have been set free. Paul speaks to this a little bit in Galatians chapter 5, where he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We've been set free so that we can live in freedom, so that we can perpetually experience this particular kind and quality of life, so that we are not burdened and enslaved to the law, so that we are not burdened and enslaved to sin, so that we are not burdened and enslaved to the self or the ego. The point of being delivered, of being set free, is to live into the freedom that you were created to live in. And one more thought here, and then we'll wrap up. Now, 1 John 4.8 says, God is love. In the Gospel of John, John speaks to this idea of, be, of the Father and the Son being one. So if God is love, then Jesus is love. Okay, so now let's think through this thing that has happened and everything we've kind of been discussing here surrounding this. By the way, uh, in 1 John 4, 8, when it says God is love, that word for love is also agape, unconditional love. So when we read God is love, like it's saying God is unconditional love, which by the way, should be like the primary lens through which we understand God anyways. So if we were to go through John 3.16 and kind of put in these words, these expanded definitions of what we learned today, it might sound and read a bit something like this, okay? John 3.16, for God so loved the world, for unconditional love in this way has unconditionally loved the whole human race or, the, <clears throat> or has unconditionally loved the entirety of the universe, that he gave his one and only son, that unconditional love has sent unconditional love to us, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And whoever believes in unconditional love shall not perish, but experience the fullness of life perpetually. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. For unconditional love did not come to condemn the whole human race or the entirety of the universe but to save the world through him, but to save, to deliver, to set us free through unconditional love. And why did unconditional love do all this? Well, according to Paul, that we might live into the freedom. And according to John, so that we can experience this particular kind and quality of life perpetually. Maybe we could summarize it this way. Unconditional love has loved us unconditionally so that we might be set free from anything that may bind us, so that we may know and experience the fullness of life found in unconditional love. So a debacle has to do with a river that is frozen, the water that was trapped, it was stuck. And then this thing happens, 
a breaking up of the ice, the melting of the ice due to spring. The ice begins to break up, and then that ice is now set free to do what it does. It is set free to be itself. It is set free to begin to flow again. The birth of Jesus was a debacle. The people of Israel were stuck. They were trapped in the oppression of the Roman government. They were stuck in their ritual and religion Humanity at large was stuck, was trapped in sin and guilt and shame and ego. And then this thing happens, the birth of Jesus, the anointed one, the Savior, the one who delivers and who sets free. Unconditional love comes to dwell among us in the form of man so that we may know freedom, so that we are no longer trapped, so that we will no longer be stuck So that just as the river is now free to flow again, we, through unconditional love, are now free to flow into the fullness of life that unconditional love has desired for us since the very beginning. And if you want to take it a step further, like we said earlier, a debacle was a term that was used to describe the landscape left behind after the ice ages, after that ice had been set free Right? That uh, it's how the flow of ice has changed the shape of the physical landscape of the earth. I would say that when we understand the birth of Jesus through the lens of unconditional love, that the freedom and fullness of life that follows is capable of reshaping the spiritual landscape of our hearts and our minds as well. That there's a significant and lasting change to our spiritual landscape because unconditional love has set us free. Like, do you see? How powerful of a message this is. Like when we really get down into it, this is such a profound and potentially life-altering thing. Think about all the things that we are stuck or trapped by. Right? Not just like sin or missing the mark. What about like other people's opinions? How many of us are trapped by what other people think? Where we allow their thoughts or their potential thoughts to determine what we will or will not do. Well, I'd really like to do this, but what will they think? You're trapped, you're stuck. Well, why do we have to buy a certain house or drive a certain car or wear certain clothes? And I get, look, sometimes we just like what we like and that's fine. But sometimes it's because we're trying to manage other people's perceptions of ourselves. And so we allow the thoughts of others to be in control of what we do and how we do it. That's not freedom. What about religion? I know many of you come from various churches and backgrounds that have had a particular way to see and understand God and the Bible. And it wasn't a way that was very open or accepting. And you've gone through some hurt and pain because you're choosing to see and interact with God in a whole new way. Right? You were stuck. You were trapped in that religion. And that is not freedom. That's not the highest quality of life that God had in mind for you. That was just another shackle. But I'm glad that you're stepping out of that. What about when it comes to relationships? Maybe it's with a partner. Maybe it's some family dynamic. You feel the pain of being stuck or trapped in some sort of toxic relationship. Or you find yourself being burdened with their manipulative behavior. That's not freedom. It's for freedom that unconditional love has come to set us free. The birth of Jesus is the greatest debacle in the history of debacles. 
I came across this quote the other day that I, I thought was so very good that speaks this, and, and I feel like we may have used this recently, but I couldn't remember, so we're just going to go with it anyways, um, because this to me is so very incredible. I want you to, to take a look at this. Most of us were taught that God would love us if and when we change. In fact, God loves you so that you can change. Most of us were taught that God would love us if and when we change. In fact, God loves you so that you can change. God is unconditional love. You are loved. You were already loved. You always have been loved. You have never not been loved. And it's like we have this really bad habit of forgetting this. And we allow ourselves to be stuck, to be trapped like this river that is frozen. And so unconditional love comes in the form of Jesus to set us free. Unconditional love comes in the form of Jesus to reveal to us that which has always and will always be true. You are loved. I think sometimes we forget this. And if I'm being honest, I know I do as well. And I allow so many things around me. And I allow myself to tell me that I am less than. To feel like I'm not being a good enough father. To feel like I'm not being a good enough spouse. To feel like I'm not being a good enough leader. To feel like I'm just not enough when you understand this story you come to see that all of that is a lie that is all a lie it's all a lie you have never not been loved you have never not been loved You've never not been loved. And so the birth of Jesus is this beautiful debacle where unconditional love reveals itself in flesh, comes to set us free from all these lies that trap and enslave. It is unconditional love that is born unto us that we might be set free from all of that. Unconditional love has formed us Unconditional love has freed us, and unconditional love has filled us with the fullness of life. And to me, this is the beauty of Christmas, that we are blessed to celebrate this time of year, because we will always need that reminder. You are loved, you are loved, 